0: I will be reading from Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to John, chapter 12. I am often amazed at how differently each of us are motivated, including What motivates us spiritually? One of my favorite examples of motivation is a young fellow who was buying some candy for his girlfriend at the local Walgreens. He bought a $5 box of candy, a $10 box of candy, and a $20 box of candy. And the gentleman behind the counter said, wow, that is a lot of candy. What's the occasion? Well, the boy happened to notice the man's name tag said owner, and so he really didn't want to bother with him. But he said, I'll tell you. He said, tonight's a big, big night. I'm getting a chance to meet my girlfriend's parents, and I want to go prepared. He said, but why three boxes of candy? He said, well, if sometime during the night I get to hold my girlfriend's hand, she gets the $5 box of candy. If I get to hug her, she gets the $10 box of candy. And if I get to kiss her, $20 box of candy. The guy said, well, it sounds like you've got a great plan. He said, I sure hope so. So the young man made it to the house and he met his girlfriend's parents and he must have made an incredible impression because when they sat down for dinner, dad said, son, would you mind saying the prayer for the meal? He said, sure. And it was an amazing prayer. It was poignant. It was passion filled. And when it was done, his girlfriend leaned over and said, I didn't know you were so spiritual. To which he said, I didn't know your daddy owned the Walgreens. (laughs) Different things motivate people to be spiritual, don't they? Here's my question to kick things off. What motivates you? What motivates you to be concerned about the things that concern Jesus? Guilt has been a pretty popular motivator over the years, hasn't it? But only a close second to fear. We feel awful about letting God down, and so we can be motivated to do spiritual things through a little guilt. We don't want to get God ticked off at us and so we can be motivated by fear. So both fear and guilt can inspire us to give attention to spiritual things. But I don't think either of those is as effective either in the short term or the long as compared to sacrificial love. Amen? Hands down, I think it is the greatest, most lasting motivator of any human heart. And this morning... We've got a small sample of the efforts some TV stations and some congressmen and some wives and some bosses and some ministers have made to show their appreciation for the men and women who risk their lives for our freedom every day. I want you to take a peek at just for a few moments at some extreme efforts that were made to reunite some soldiers with their families. Let's watch. There are crazy things that a husband or a wife will do to express her appreciation for someone that they care much about. They're crazy things that um, even the smallest of children will do to respond to someone who they love so very much. There are extravagant things that a kid will do to thank a mom or a dad who's been supporting them and raising them and sacrificing for them. And sometimes the showing of appreciation goes on longer than just a day. Or just a moment. Sometimes it goes on for long periods of time. Love will cause parents to take on second jobs. To send their kids to school or their mates to school. Love will drive insane distances. To watch a soccer match or a football game or a basketball game. Love will motivate people to be caregivers to their mates, to their kids, to their parents. Who are enduring long, debilitating illnesses. Love will offer up kidneys Bone marrow transplants to people that we care about and who need them, and sometimes even to strangers that we don't know. It is amazing to me the motivation love can be. It will cause us to do outlandish things, to try our best to say thank you to someone who's loved us. That's what we're going to see this morning in our text in John chapter 12. But I showed you that video not to make you cry or to ruin your makeup. But to give you a sense of what this text felt like when it unfolded. Look at John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Now Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was absolutely filled with the fragrance of perfume. <laughs> but then there was one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later was betray him, John reflects. He objected. Why wouldn't this perfume sold in the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages now, He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And so Jesus has something to say. He says, leave her alone. This was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him... But they wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Hmm. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. First of all, we're grateful for any and every person you have ever placed in our lives that has shown us an ounce of care or concern, but especially those who have gone the extra mile to show that they love us. Please forgive us. Uh, Not just us, but also those at Calvary Temple and any disciple meeting in this town. Forgive any of us who have discounted, who have taken for granted the love that's been poured out. But that's especially true of you. And we want to say this morning, forgive us, Forgive us for taking for granted all that you have tried to do to not only take care of us, but to make sure that we lived forever with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name we praise you and the church said, amen. In this section of John, things are starting to get a little tense. That's why the sermon's the last couple of weeks and maybe even this week is a little bit intense. Because John is showing us that underneath listen to me, all of us who consider ourselves religious is an ugly much deeper and much darker than we could ever imagine. More ugly than we would ever consider ourselves failures for, jerks for, arrogant for, prideful for, selfish for. When you see these religious leaders, if you're not seeing yourself, you're not seeing what John hopes that we see. And it's amazing to me that these men could be, as much as we have seen the antithesis of of, of seeing people love, to see the antithesis of people loving people like we've seen this morning is to see someone who wants to kill someone because he could raise someone from the dead. And not just stop there, but also, bless his heart, kill the one who got raised from the dead. What was Lazarus doing? He was just laying there dead, minding his own business. When someone calls his name, and he's alive again. And so he he walks out to see what in the world's going on. There's this crowd waiting for him. And in the middle of it is not only his sisters, Mary and Martha, but there's there's Jesus who he went to Hebrew school. But this Hebrew's not like any Hebrew he he's ever been around. And shortly after getting teased about the fact that he didn't smell so bad for being dead for four days, they're hosting a barbecue. In his honor, a celebration, a thanksgiving meal. Lazarus was dead and now he's alive. And and the one responsible, he's right there in their midst. Right there. And when the lens of scripture focuses in on John chapter 12, there's Martha serving. (laughs) Which if you know anything about Martha, is what Martha does. She's a servant. Sometimes she can be a little obsessive about it. and, And get too caught up in the doing for Jesus instead of being with her. Remember, we've been at Martha's house before. And there's also, John records Lazarus there reclining at the table. He's not surprising that he's, it's not surprising he's there. Women are hosting and the man of honors lying on the couch. It's a holiday. You ladies are used to that. Then Mary comes in and she does do something that's surprising. I mean, it gets everybody's attention, including God's. She pours some perfume that's both expensive and incredibly fragrant on Jesus' of all places feet. He wipes those feet with her hair. And the fragrance just absolutely fills the room. It is one of those reunions you just witnessed on the screen. That's what John 12 is. A little backstory: By any standards, most likely this is a wealthy family. They had money. And it's worth noting because Jesus, yes, spent time with people who didn't have much to their name. But he also spent time with people who had much to their name. And Martha and Mary's family most likely was. And in Jesus' day, the custom was to put your savings into some kind of an asset that would hold or increase in its value. And they didn't have stock markets then. They didn't have tax-sheltered annuities then. And so often, in order to save for your future, you had to put your savings in some kind of a commodity. And you know what? Nard was a popular choice. Nard is a perfume made from a plant that grows in northern India. And it was a very, very popular savings tool. Number one, because it was desirable. Everybody wanted it. Secondly, it was portable. Easy to transfer from one person to another. And thirdly, it was valuable. The stuff held its value and also increased in value because it was hard to get. And so it's not some preacher's exaggeration to say that one bottle of that perfume was worth more than most men made in a year's time. Man, hit the pause button there. Give that one some thought. I I don't know what your wage is. We've got a lot of different wage levels here. But regardless, take one year's wages. Put it in a bottle of something. And then pour that out in a moment. That's outlandish. (laughs) That's extravagant. There's not words really that you can place on something like that. And it's more than just that. This was Mary's future. This is everything she's worth financially. This is everything she has to fall back on in the days ahead. It was too good to use on her. And it was too good to use on her brother Lazarus just a couple of days before when he was buried. But it's not too good for Jesus. (laughs) It's not. How do you thank somebody who raised your brother from the dead? How is that for a question for the week? How do you say thank you for that? How, how, how do one of these soldiers say thank you for arranging for those kind of meetings? How do you say thank you for someone who loves you that much, that would go to that much trouble and to that much expense and be that outlandish? I think it's important to note that no one would have thought less of Mary if she would have just taken the bottle and just, you know, wiped her finger around it. Remember, this is a whole year's wages in here. Just wiped her finger around it and put a couple of drops on his head. That may have been a couple of weeks or a couple of months' worth of wages. And that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be beautiful. That would be amazing. But she goes right past nice. She goes right past beautiful to extravagant. Outlandish. And God wants us to remember that moment. Almost like a photo that you keep in your wallet or, or one of those photos that you've got on your wall in your home or next to your bed. God wants us to keep this picture of thankfulness in our hearts. When was the last time you saw it? I mean, saw it, church. Not to be put on our list of have-tos, but to be put on our list of get-tos. Because I think for some of us, you need permission to be outlandish in loving people. You really do. (laughs) Some of you weren't raised that way. I mean, pinch every penny. Save, 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 save. But the day never comes to celebrate. The day never comes to be outlandish. And so you literally would go to your grave. And and it may sound holy to say being sensible. But you know what? Sometimes that's just code for stingy. And so God wants us as a church to get a picture of what it looks like to say thank you in an extravagant, outlandish way. If Mary's the portrait of Thanksgiving, though, Judas is the portrait of the turkey. One came to be sacrificial with their praise. The other came to be sensible, came to be stingy. And, brother, can I remind you that a sacrifice entails giving up something that you really love for someone that you love even more? And surely you've done that. I know you have. Surely you, you've shown love for somebody that you loved so much that, that maybe others looking in would say, that's pretty reckless. How's that for a word? Reckless. Reckless. I know Gil's parents and my parents thought about it whenever we were dating. I was at the University of Texas. She was at Abilene Christian University. And so we had to travel to one other's place, you know, the weekends. And so one of us was, was doing it one week and one the next week. And usually we wouldn't get back home for our Monday classes till Sunday night about 1 or 2 in the morning. Or early Monday morning, if you're doing the math on all that. Because we were in love. And when you're in love, you set aside things like money and sleep and grades. Because you just got to be with that person. A little bit reckless. A little bit extravagant. But that's what you do. That's the foolishness that you do when people are in love. But we do that for our kids, not just those that we're married to. When they need braces... Or you want them to go on a mission trip or to church camp. And so you give up maybe uh, that that fund that you set aside for a new car. Or you give up that that fund that you set aside to experience a a hobby adventure. Or you you set aside that that money for not furniture, but but to bless them today. It was something you had been saving for tomorrow, but you're going to give it up for today. All of you have done something like that. At least I hope you have. That's what Mary's doing. She's giving the sacrificial, not just the sensible. And she challenges me. I'm telling you, getting ready for this challenged me this week, because when it comes to being grateful, when it comes to being thankful, sometimes I err on the side of a sensible. More than I do the sensational. It's more than I do the outlandish. And I've had a little corrective surgery on my heart this week. If we're going to err, John 12 teaches us, on one of those sides, he says, let's err on the sacrificial, not the sensible. say, Jimmy, do you have another scripture for that? No, we got a whole story for that. That's what this whole story is about. And I know someone's quick to say, I don't know. Jesus also says in Matthew 6, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Pray in secret, give in secret, that's what God wants. He wants a response to love that's private, sensible, secretive. And all I can say is I understand how that might be a takeaway from Matthew 6. I just don't think it's the appropriate takeaway. I think what Matthew 6 is teaching is Jesus doesn't mind giving that's seen. What he minds is giving that's given to be seen. The quote on the screen is this Jesus doesn't discourage giving that's seen. He discourages giving that is to be seen. Regardless of whether our giving is seen by others or totally private, He wants to make sure that we're doing it for God's approval, God's applause, not anybody else's. That's what that passage is about. As a matter of fact, Matthew 5 and verse 16 is very specific about this that seen works are essential to the spread of the kingdom. You are the light of the world. And so you let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God who's in heaven. Deeds that are seen have a necessary place in the kingdom. Yes, there's a place for privacy. Yes, there's a place for the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. But not when it comes to praise. Not when it comes to saying thank you. Here's three takeaways I have from this text this morning. Number one, kingdom love is extravagant. When it comes to love, the scripture never encourages the least that I can do for God or for people. No, Garrett started us off with this. No, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, every ounce of strength that you can muster and your brother the same way. Jesus will add a little bit later. That second commandment is very much like the first. Sometimes they're almost interchangeable. That's why the Bible records for his people who raise their hands in praise, not just those who sit on them in praise. They're both an option. But it's interesting how God illuminates, puts a spotlight on those who raise their hands. It makes sure to mention that it's holy to get so low to the ground, your face is on the ground when you're humbling yourself before the Lord. He notices that. Can you pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Sure. But God notices when when we are a little outlandish with that humility? Doesn't mind it at all. Jimmy, why does it say, shout to the Lord, instead of whisper to the Lord? Jimmy, why did David feel the need to dance before the Lord when a song, a simple song, would have done? And the answer is because the real measure of love is how outlandish it can be, not how calculated it can be. I'm afraid too many meetings at the church house often have the phrase, let's be good stewards here. Which again is code for, let's do the minimal here. Kingdom love is extravagant. Number two, kingdom love is costly. For too many of us, we give, but rarely does it cost us something. It doesn't mean the gift that doesn't cost me anything doesn't help somebody. I'm not saying it's not good. But it's not kingdom level giving. It isn't sacrifice until it costs us something. Luke says this in chapter 14 and verse 26 of his gospel. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow, that's an outlandish request. Yes, because what he offers is an outlandish love. Over and over in the writings of the New Testament of the Spirit, we witness that people who say yes to Jesus often pay a very high price for their allegiance. And brother, we do not do a kingdom of service at all when we're guilty of peddling costless, painless Christianity. Yes, grace is free. Yes, welcoming Christ is free. But as we saw last week, In 2 Timothy 5.12, the Bible says, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will pay a huge price for it, eventually. Now, I talk about this aspect of the kingdom only because Jesus talked about it so much. (laughs) Almost to the point I can hear Peter as we're walking into one of the villages they've never been into before, saying, Lord, just me thinking, but could we leave them?" Um, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, sermon in the tent. Can we leave that one there today? Because you can catch a whole lot more flies with honey than vinegar. What do you say? And the Lord would have none of that. He almost always talked about the cost right up front before we asked people to commit to Anything. Yes, believing in Jesus would be a treasure so full that you would want to sell everything to come and and get your hands on it. But when you give that treasure away, it will cost you everything. That's the whole package of Jesus' following. And I want to warn you this morning that when you accept his love, I promise you, church, when you go to express your appreciation, it's going to cost you. Not everybody's going to cheer you for it. Some will despise you for it. Some in the family will even discourage you from it. Which leads us to the third point. Kingdom love invites scorn. Sorry. It just does. It is always going to bother somebody how you express your love. Mary's Thanksgiving act was thought to be just a little overboard by including one of Jesus' disciples. John lets us know Judas was the guy leading the charge here. When Mary anoints Jesus' feet with perfume that was worth a year's wages, he's quick to say, hey, lady, it's going a little overboard here. Excuse me, generosity foul, piling on. The waste we've just witnessed here, inexcusable. We could have used that for the poor. Man, at first all, that sounds so holy. Holy talking about how we could come up with other ways of possibly using the money and the problem i've witnessed in a lot of the meetings i've been in about money it's too often we need to be good stewards here it is often code for we need to do the minimal here now that hasn't, hasn't always but it's happened a lot occasionally we have to walk the judases among us into john chapter 12 and say okay There's a time to be sensible, but isn't there a time to be sensationally sacrificial? If not now, good question, when? When? Better question for you. When's a good time to be sacrificial? When's a good time to be sensational with the fact that you are so thrilled that He's loved you like He's loved you? If you radically serve If you radically celebrate the love of Christ, I promise you, you will be criticized by at least some. Some are going to see you as going overboard. I've learned, however, that that criticism often says more about the critic than it does the object of the criticism. When Michael, David's wife, is offended by his dancing before the Lord, is the Bible telling us more about Michael or David when we hear the story? When Mary is criticized for her gift by Judas, does that say more about Judas or Mary? I've been a Judas before. We had a sister in our church at Gateway who would often stand with her hands lifted, and nobody else was. She will tell you she did that when she was prompted in her heart by the Spirit, not necessarily prompted by the crowd or the song leader, Or even the words of a song that might have stand in them. She just sometimes stood because she felt like that's what God wanted her to do. Was drawing her to do. Remember the first time she did it. It was at During Mountain Family Fellowship. And we were singing this great song. And boom. She just stood up right in the middle of it. And the song didn't again have the word stand in it. Ken Young didn't say, okay, let's stand church. He didn't even do that Raymond thing or that Dustin thing where where they do it with their hands. Nothing was going. She just stood. and, and And I couldn't miss it because she was standing right next to me right next to me. And to be honest, I actually wanted her to sit down. there I was wrestling as to whether I should stand or not, and the song was finally over, and she just quietly sat down, just like she stood. Now, you may not know her. She's a woman who usually is not outlandish with her lifestyle in the least, but uh, when she worships, when she loves on her family, incredibly outlandish. I remember being nailed by the thought that evening, Jimmy, your critical thinking has little to do with her discipleship. It has very much to do with your own. Church, what she was doing may have been overboard to her preacher, but I can guarantee you this. (laughs) It made God smile. It made him smile. Others of us were suspicious, but it made him smile. She didn't care. And it's helped me to be, listen to me, more outlandish with my thanksgiving. Too much of the time I've taken the track of what's the least that I can do to let God know I love him. Don't hate me for that because I feel like there's probably at least one or two of you who've taken that track too. Isn't it further the truth that too often we've chided people? We scorn people about going off the deep end with their worship only to reveal how shallow ours is. Our thankfulness, our gratefulness for all that he's done for us. Paul says this, if we're out of our mind, as some people say, it's for God. For him. Because Christ's love is what's compelling us here. Because we're convinced he died for all. I mean, really convinced he died for all. Church, I love for Jesus doesn't always have to be marked by the foolish and the reckless, but listen to me, is yours ever marked by it? Honestly? Ever? Because one man died for all. (laughs) And if the cross is anything, it's one of the most reckless, outlandish, all-in acts of love you will ever receive. Come on, my sin debt's paid there. My adoption as God's child is secure there. My heart is prepared for the residence of the Spirit there. My hope for eternal life is secured there. And then a couple of days later when he walks out of that tomb, it's my hope, I will too. Are you kidding me? How do you respond to gifts like that? Do you do it sensibly or sensationally? I make a mistake I want it to be in the sensational category and if that strikes a chord with you then I need to let you know it may not bring a great deal of applause from humans but it always does from heaven watch how Jesus responds this is powerful the one who would not defend himself when he's falsely accused is so quick to stand and defend Mary when she is here's the words of Jesus leave her alone just leave her alone Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me here. The poor you're always going to have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. (laughs) That is so huge. You won't find Jesus giving this level of praise for any other act that he's a part of. Jesus says, when my gospel's preached and the world says, now how do we respond to a story like that Jesus story? In a nutshell, he's going to say like Mary did. Like Mary. And then tell the story of John 12. And I don't think when preachers like me tell it, the hope of Jesus is that we'll spend one or two hours in a building like this. Or that we'll say one or two thank you prayers at a meal like you're about to eat in a minute. Mary gave of her today for God's tomorrow. And the fulfillment of what Jesus prophesied is coming true today. It still just stuns me to think that maybe, just maybe, around the globe today hundreds of people are also telling this same story like it's been told on hundreds of other Lord's Days and in other Bible studies People have not stopped talking about what Mary did, even though the turkey, Judas, tried to stop her. He did not ruin their Thanksgiving meal. But people are also talking about Judas. We just did. So which one, when they talk about the story of Jesus and your part in it, will you most likely be associated with? Will you be numbered among the thankful Or the turkeys, the stingy. Let's be sensible here. This message just wrecked me this week. If it's challenging you, just please know it challenged me first. Maybe to many of you, this is just going to be a touching, maybe poignant, maybe just totally boring service. I don't know. But it challenged me this week. First to stop and take stock of everything he's done for me. And I, I did some, but I, I know that, I, that there was more. But it still wrecked me enough that it pushed me to do the reckless. And so on Friday to an absolute stranger, I did the reckless. And on Saturday to someone that's not a stranger at all, I did the reckless. I did, I did what cost me to let someone else... Know that they're loved and appreciated. And you just can't outgive God. Because today, today, those are two incidences of where I was reckless. Today, two people gave me things that cost them something. First, before the sun even came up this morning, not going to mention his name. And then after Bible class started, another person gave me something. And I'm just going, you can't outgive you. You just can't. You can't I don't want to be numbered among the turkeys. I do want to be numbered among the thankful how about you we're going to have some folks that um, are going to be standing up here at the front and also at the back and they're going to be here in case you missed that on that effort a while ago to have a elder pray over and with you because sometimes what's said in the sermon stirs some things and and maybe if just maybe that's stirred some things in you and you'd like them to wrap their arms around you. Or maybe the song finished too early and you didn't get to, to get up and get where you were hoping to get in a few moments. This is the time for that. And if, and if that thing that happened at the cross and at the empty tomb, you want it to be your thing, not to just be a story but your story, come find me. And we'll see you baptized in the Christ right here before you walk out of this building. Let's stand. Let's praise in church.